Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. Today on Core Principles, I'm honored to welcome one of the preeminent journalists and commentators of the last half century. He's had a column running in over half of America's printed newspapers, as well as radio commentary broadcast on over 300 stations. He's been with NBC and their cable channel CNBC, as well as with Fox News and others. His name is John Calvin Thomas, and you know him as Cal Thomas. To more effectively introduce him... I'm going to use words written by Tom Johnson, who was the former president and publisher of the Los Angeles Times, as well as the former president of CNN. And he provided these words as an introduction to Cal Thomas's new book, which I highly recommend and we're going to discuss today, called A Watchman in the Night. Quote, Willard Colston, president of the Los Angeles Times Syndicate, had asked me to take a look at several articles Cal Thomas had written I did, and found that Cal Thomas wrote clearly and expressed his opinions intelligently. I'm very proud to have been a strong supporter of him. His column added a much-needed conservative voice to newspapers, talk shows, and bookshelves, end quote. Cal Thomas, welcome to Core Principles. How are you doing, sir? Well, thank you, Clay, very much, and I'm very proud of uh, what Tom Johnson said as you indicated, he was my mentor and opened the door for me at the LA Times Syndicate. He's an LBJ Democrat, but a very fair and uh, honest journalist. I wish we had more like him. Yes, sir. Well, your latest book, A Watchman in the Night, is sort of a time capsule uh, from about 1984 through mid-2022. In our discussion today, I'm going to uh, prompt you with some noteworthy stories of the times that you've written about. But to start, I'd like to ask you to tell our listeners about how you got involved in your chosen profession. Well, gee, uh, that's kind of a broad uh, question. I started a radio when I was 16 years old. My uh, now wife and I worked at the same radio station. She was a, uh, a celebrity squire around her she, on the outside, and I was on the air on the inside. Then I joined uh, NBC News as a copy boy at age 19 while I was still in college at the same time and was surrounded by some really great journalists, and I wanted to be like them. They were very well known at the time, people like David Brinkley, for example, uh, Sandra Van Oker, who covered the Kennedy White House, and I was in charge of filing their scripts, and that became my writing class. I would see how they wrote and uh, were broadcast, and uh, that became a tremendous influence on me. So. I was a reporter for some years before I became a columnist. I decided to do the book as, uh, as a kind of, as you say, a time capsule, a timeline of what I've seen in the last 40 years as a columnist and before that as a reporter. I think it's a good reminder to people who were alive at that time, but also a, uh, 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 an instruction for younger people to see what happened during that period. And in many ways, nothing has changed. We're still debating the same issues the border, the economy, taxes, debt, uh, loss of a shared moral sense. So in some ways, things never really change because human nature never changes. Yes, sir. And that's going to become evident to our listeners as we go through some of these topics. They'll be like, was that really in the late 80s and mid 90s or was that today? Because they, they sound so familiar. 
I think you're an ideal guest for this program, Core Principles, Cal Thomas, because of your commitment to objective reality and to capital T truth. Now, listeners of this program, every time they listen to an episode, they hear our hostess, Suzanne Farmer, advise at the beginning of the episode that we're going to have a lively discussion of relevant topics, which we'll attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. And at the beginning of your great new book, A Watchman in the Night, you note how important it was that the founders focused on what they called self-evident truths. And you comment that truth has devolved in our nation from objective, which it truly is, to subjective and relative. And you state, quote, the goal of my columns is to remind people that immutable truths exist and to ask them to consider even recent history in which certain programs or policies contribute to the preservation of our liberties, end quote. And so my, my first question uh, about the book is a general one. During your decades of journalism and commentary, what objective truths have been most dangerously ignored in our nation? Well, I think begin with the uh, the Constitution and actually you go back to the philosophical foundation of the Constitution, which is the Declaration of Independence, which, as you suggested, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and that are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. Why is it necessary for government to secure endowed unalienable rights? Because as James Madison said, if men were angels, we wouldn't need these constraints, but men are not angels. And so you have to have uh, some kind of society, some kind of structure to uh, uh, control the behavior uh, of human beings. Uh, I, I think as you suggested, as I mentioned, uh, every, truth has now become personal. You have your truth, I have mine, and even if they conflict, it's okay as long as we each feel good. Well, how's that working out? We have a $33 trillion debt. Uh, what happened to the truth of living within your means? We have an open border, uh, which is pouring people in uh, of what backgrounds most people don't even know. How's that working out? We have a loss of a shared sense of moral values, right and wrong, good and evil. And how's that working out? So all of these things that we've abandoned and rejected in our public schools and universities are producing a kind of country that would have been abhorrent to the founders of the nation. I think that's so important. And I think of this fact that the founders recognize that the only way for this experiment in self-government to work is if everybody recognized that the standard bearer is the creator. He's the only one that could have equally over all of us the ability to set that standard that applies equally to all from the president on down to a street sweeper. Well, there are so many important topics in your new book, A Watchman in the Night, Cal Thomas. So we could talk about a wide variety of things in the discussion today, but I've selected a few things as prompts to discuss. The first one is about crime and criminal justice. I recently went to a prison in Houston, Texas, as part of a group led by uh, Prison Fellowship, and you mentioned Prison Fellowship in your book when you reveal that you are not in favor of a so-called lock them up and throw away the key 
approach to criminal justice. Now, if Cal Thomas were the Attorney General of the United States, what policies would you champion regarding criminal justice? Well, first, uh, I, I believe in restitution. That's an Old Testament principle. If you steal my TV set and get put in jail, okay, it's insured. Maybe I get the, the money for the TV set and I buy another TV set. But the objective of the criminal justice system should be uh, rehabilitation and reform. And you mentioned prison fellowship. That is their number one goal, to bring people to faith in Christ and to set them on a path of a new life. Uh, that the, the prison system we have in America today uh, is a complete failure. You may remember the movie, The Shawshank Redemption, where you've got uh, Andy and Red in the library, and Andy says, uh, I was an honest man on the outside. I had to come in here to learn to be a criminal. Now, that's a very funny line, but it's also true. We have more people in prison per capita than any other country in the world except China. And we are not turning out rehabilitated people. Now, if you live in New York or whatever, you don't even go to jail. You can get out no cash bail, all this other stuff. Uh, so for nonviolent, non-dangerous offenders, I think restitution is a much better way to go. For the violent, for the dangerous, we lock them up. But uh, clearly the system we currently have is not working. And, you know, you hear these lines all the time. No one is above the law. Oh, really? <laughs> well, we're also interested in equal justice under the yeah. law. And there are a lot of us, Cal Thomas, who see that principle eroding. Any comments on uh, the sort of disparities we might notice in the way the law sure. is applied? Yeah. If, you, if you're wealthy and can, have a, uh, can hire a rich lawyer, you're going to be far better off in the criminal justice system than if you're poor and have to use a, uh, a lawyer assigned to you by the court, a public defender. Um, if you are a powerful politician and you happen to have a son who has a history of misdeeds, gee, who might I be talking about, uh, you, you can expect that eventually, if he even gets convicted of anything, he's going to be pardoned by his father. I don't think there's any doubt about that whatsoever. So, you know, your average uh, cocaine addict, your average uh, hirer of prostitutes, your average person who, uh, who, uh, who helps create 20 LLCs and launders money from uh, foreign nations, including those that do not have America's best interests at heart, are more likely to get away with something than a, just your average Joe who tried that who probably would wind up in uh, in federal court and convicted faster uh, than anybody else. So it is an unequal system, and it's very sad, and it's why a lot of people are cynical about their government and their leaders. Yes, and another uh, disparity seems lately to be which uh, ideological views do you have? In some jurisdictions, it seems that that matters, and that's terrifying. Well, the next topic that I want to discuss is always timely. And it's mentioned throughout your book, A Watchman in the Night. Unfortunately, it's dominating the news once again. The topic is how nations treat Israel. And I know you've been to Israel many times. I think I read 27 times. And I'm sure listeners yeah. will be interested to learn from you about the current and centuries-long ongoing strife in that region among these people groups. You spoke with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu over 20 years ago, and you quoted him from that discussion saying about the Palestinians, quote, they can have peace or they can have terrorism. 
They can't have both, end quote. And Netanyahu could have said that this week, as well as nearly a quarter century, as he said to you, Cal Thomas. So I ask you if you would share with our listeners uh, your insights regarding the situation in Israel. Well, I've known the prime minister for since he was a, uh, uh, a deputy at the Israeli embassy in Washington for many years. I was just with him a few months ago in Jerusalem, and uh, we have a longtime friendship. The key to understanding what is going on in the Middle East, there are two keys. First of all, there's the history. The Jewish people have had a presence in the land of Israel for nearly 4,000 years. The so-called Palestinian side has written their own history, uh, trying to create a presence for themselves, which doesn't exist. The second thing that is of vast importance, probably the most important of all, is that uh, the people who want to destroy Israel believe that they have a mandate from their God to do so. They say it openly, they preach it in their sermons, they teach it to their children in their schools and in their textbooks. This has been going on since, well, if you look at the Mufti of Jerusalem meeting with Hitler in um, the mid-1940s, uh, agreeing with his uh, final solution plan to wipe the Jews off the planet. Uh, you've got the same thing going on today. This is in the Hamas charter. This is what the PLO has stood for. They say this. It's not a secret. It's open. But we in the West deny this kind of stuff. We, we say, well, what they really need is just their own state. Well, as I'm saying in an upcoming column, if you want to know what a Palestinian state would look like, look at Gaza. It would be full of terrorists, and the final solution would be the eradication of Israel itself. That's what the game is in the Middle East. And it's the only democracy in the Middle East. We deserve to support them. If you look at the failure of the Roosevelt administration during World War II to admit Jews fleeing from Europe and Hitler, uh, we owe it to the Jewish people, and we owe it to democracy. Amen. And we often hear from folks on the left that Israel should give more to their enemies. They should compromise more. In your book, A Watchman in the Night, you talk about a time when Bill Clinton met with Benjamin Netanyahu, as well as PLO leader Yasser Arafat. And he tried, Clinton tried to pressure the Israeli prime minister to give up land for peace. And I often tell people that I'd like to role play those kind of discussions with the folks who think that Israel needs to give more. Uh, because no matter what compromises Israel may offer, the starting position is, as you just said, Cal Thomas, that they believe that every Jew on earth must die. I don't think there's a lot of serious negotiations going to occur when one side is bent on the death of everyone on the other side. Uh, no, it's, yeah, it's, it's not ideological. It's religious. And the, and the increasingly secular West does not or does not want to acknowledge this. Now, how do you sit down and negotiate with anybody who believes that their God wants you dead? Where is the middle ground on that? Where is the compromise on that? And for people who think that uh, giving in to these people will bring peace, I have two words, Neville Chamberlain. This is what the, he thought would bring peace in our time and avoid World War II Give Hitler Czechoslovakia and the Sudetenland, and he won't want any more. Well, it's like feeding a hungry lion. You're in a cage with it. You keep feeding him, he's going to want more. And this is what evil does. 
And people who don't understand it or refuse to understand it are going to wind up being the victims of it. It's so important. And I hope listeners are heeding this well. Uh, it, it is a vital principle that we've got to remember uh, for our own safety and security. There are folks who do not intend good, uh, maybe for religious reasons, or maybe in our case, because they believe that our lifestyle is decadent and perverse, and maybe they're not wrong about some of that stuff, but wanting to kill us in response is an indication only of their evil, not of our culpability that we deserve to be uh, you know, terrorized by them. The war right. on terror was a proof of that. Indeed. Well, you look at 9-11. I mean, that was just, people say, well, that's just a minority. Not, not all uh, Muslims are like that, or not all Palestinians believe that. Fine. How many does it take to kill you? Just one. How many bombs does it take to blow up a school? Just one. Uh, how many terrorists does it take to shoot up a shopping mall? Just one. Uh, if you're dead, it doesn't matter whether one person killed you or a thousand. You're still dead. You have to take these people seriously. They say what they're going to do, they prove what they're going to do, and to deny it means that they're going to do it again and again and again, as we have seen in this uh, murderous and horrific uh, incident in Israel, killing women, children, beheading babies, uh, soldiers in their beds, sleeping at night. Uh, it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's a new Holocaust is what it is. I just had uh, some friends returned from the uh, from Israel to the United States. They got back yesterday. They were awoken last uh, week that when this first started with shrapnel hitting their house. Uh, it was a terrifying time for them. Uh, well, I agree with you, Cal Thomas, on so many of the topics that you've written about and spoken about over the years. I thought it might be interesting and beneficial for myself uh, to discuss one of the few topics that I have found on which you and I disagree. And our listeners will observe, if we have such a discussion, that uh, you and I can discuss a topic with sincerity and with goodwill and mutual respect coming at it from a different perspective. The topic is election integrity. And for starters, I know that you and I clearly agree election integrity is vital. Both political parties have frequently claimed that the other side has violated that integrity. And noteworthy examples include Florida recounts hanging chads in 2000, the ongoing claims that Russia subverted uh, Hillary Clinton's rightful victory in 2016, uh, Stacey Abrams still claiming to be the governor of Georgia, etc. But of course, the one that I'm going to focus on uh, is the 2020 election. You say in your book, A Watchman in the Night, quote, I don't believe the 2020 election was stolen, end quote. And speaking now for myself, Clay Howerton, this is me. Uh, in my opinion, I do believe the 2020 election was stolen after being rigged and after the rigging and the pre-programmed fraud was insufficient to change the outcome from Trump to Biden. So are you up for a brief, friendly discussion on that one topic? Sure. No, of course. But look, there's these these issues have been brought into courts, yes, including sir. including before judges named by Donald Trump. There has been absolutely no evidence. Look at look at the Fox settlement, a billion dollars, or a little less than a billion dollars. Mike Lindell is now practically bankrupt because he's not been able to prove any of his claims in which he said he had irrefutable evidence that the election was stolen. Now, it, it it's not worth re-arguing that. You can't change the past. You've got to focus on the future. Now, what I would do is to limit the mail-in ballots and the absentee voting. 
I think that opens things up, not only for fraud, but also for lack of trust in the system. When I first started voting and my first vote, you had to have a note from a doctor or a demonstration that you were going to be out of town in order to file an absentee ballot. Now, the Democrats especially have made it so easy to vote that uh, the, the double voting, uh, dead people voting, all of these other things have become not only possible, but probable. We have to trust the results of our elections. And if we don't, we undermine the principles of our constitutional republic. So people can argue if they want the past, but you can't change it. Joe Biden is president. That's not gonna change. So how do we safeguard going forward the election process so that more people trust in it? That's what we ought to be looking at. Yes, and uh, the mail-in ballots is a great example. Uh, it's instructive from my point of view to see how they were used to undermine the integrity of the 2020 election so that we may be motivated to curtail that in the upcoming election. So Pennsylvania is a great example of that. Uh, they sent out unsolicited ballots via mail. President Trump won Pennsylvania by 720,000 votes approximately uh, by the end of election night. But uh, Pennsylvania, according to the uh, PA.gov website of the Secretary of State, by the middle of November 2020, had counted more than 1.2 million extra mail-in ballots that were never even sent out. And so that leads to, as you say, we need to secure elections by not having a free-for-all with such you know, methods as like mail-in without even soliciting the ballots. So that's a good, uh, good example. Um, I would observe also, uh, we need to be wary of if they try again to do something that they did in the last election that was seemingly unprecedented, where six counties called timeout in near coordinated fashion, kicked out the observers that were required by law, and during the time the observers were absent, they did in fact change the vote counts. We that has never been proven in court. That is, that is uh, website stuff, that's conspiracy stuff, it's never been proven. I've read all of the arguments. I've read Dinesh D'Souza's thing. I've seen his video. None of it has been proven. And if you can show me any credible evidence, I'll take another look at it. But I've looked at all this stuff for years. And again, it's not going to change anything. If we dwell in the past, if we continue to argue these things, if we don't pick a Speaker of the House, uh, it, it, we're, it, Republicans are going to lose the next election for sure. And all three branches of government will then be controlled by the left, and we are facing a disaster. So we need to get our act together, stop focusing on things we can't do anything about, and start focusing on the future, which we can do something about. Very good. So as we look at uh, the more recent election of 2022, we can find uh, encouragement in three states that did something about mail-in ballots not being allowed as free-for-all, requiring voter ID, and cleaning up voter rolls. Those are three things that Republicans in Secretary of State positions particularly can do to help going forward, because Iowa, Ohio, and Florida did those three things, and in the 2022 midterms, they did have the red tsunami we expected, whereas other states did not. So it right. can work. We can secure elections.
Well, you mentioned secretaries of state. You know, Eric Holder, the former attorney general under Bill Clinton, is part of a group that is trying to elect secretaries of state that will do just the opposite of what you're talking about. Make it, quote, easier to vote. Of course, they always bring out the uh, voter suppression charge and racism to require people to have a voter ID. I've never been able to vote without an ID. I have to show a, a driver's license, a government issued driver's license. Uh, and why is it difficult to get an ID? There are states like Texas and others. If you don't have a driver's license, if you don't drive a car, you can get a government uh, ID in some other way. What's so difficult about that? You can get it through the mail. You can even get it online. You just have to prove who you are and where you live. You have to copy an electric bill or some other proof uh, of your residence. Uh, I mean, if you don't require that, you are opening up things for fraud and, and for all these conspiracy theories. I find it just uh, incredibly dishonest that people would say, well, you don't really need a voter ID. So true. And in fact, in some places like New York, They'll give you an ID, even if you're not an American, and it will allow you, they hope, to vote. <laughs> so, exactly. Well, that's crazy. one of the reasons why we have an open border and the Democrats are looking for, uh, you know, future votes. We're going to hook you to programs. We're going to give you free stuff. And then we're going to tell you, you better vote for us because those evil, mean Republicans are going to take it all away. I think they may be harming themselves because a lot of these uh, people from uh, Latin countries are basically conservative. They're Catholics or evangelicals or whatever, and uh, uh, they may be uh, they may be working against themselves on this. But we got to control the border. I don't care who's coming in. We have an orderly process. We got to get back to controlling the border. Any nation that does not control the border will not last very long. Amen. That's an important principle, and it ties also to what we were talking about with Israel, because some of the folks mm -hmm. that are coming in may be as anti-American as Hamas is anti-Israel. It's right. Well, you have thing. Democrats now saying we ought to let Palestinians come in. What, what's that about? I mean, what do they believe? I mean, it's crazy. Indeed. Well, this has been a fascinating discussion, Cal Thomas. I'm really honored that uh, I've had this opportunity to speak with you. And I encourage our listeners to buy your new book, A Watchman in the Night. Enjoy the history, the insights that you share. And as we conclude our conversation, I want to ask you this uh, final question. Would you share with our listeners something that makes you feel optimistic and hopeful about our future? Well, I uh, go back to an old Baptist hymn. Uh, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the dearest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground, and that includes political ground, is sinking sand. There are two kingdoms. One is headed in one direction. One is headed in the other. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And while I do vote, I do pray for those in authority, including those I haven't voted for. This is a kingdom that is headed for destruction. We are seeing more and more upheaval, violence, death, murder uh, in, in our country, especially than we've ever seen before. That is proof, in my view, that the kingdom headed in the other direction is on uh, warp speed at the moment. So I'm pressing on the other way. And, uh, you know, King David, when he was king over Israel, said, put not your trust in princes and kings or in mortal flesh that cannot save. That's good enough for me. I don't trust any politician. I have my preferences like everybody else, but none of them can make my life better. Only I can do that. Amen. Take heed, listeners. That is valuable, wise, scriptural 
observation by Cal Thomas. Well, thank you so much for joining me on Core Principles. God bless you. Thank you, Clay. My privilege. Core Principles podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information and please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.